Hey everyone, it's Victoria and I appreciate you tuning in. In this episode, we will focus on the many reasons immigration status and national origin may be barriers to service for survivors. We also will have a second episode tied to this one in which we'll hear from Penny Gonzalez Soto, an immigration attorney at Student Legal Services here on campus. We try to do a barriers to service episode regularly to outline the nuanced reasons people from intersecting identities may be unable or choose not to seek resources after experiencing interpersonal violence or IPV. The purpose of these episodes is twofold. One, to validate the experiences of marginalized survivors and help them identify options as they move forward in their healing journeys, and to name barriers for marginalized people so privileged folks can better understand what impacts people's choices without projecting their own ways of knowing and being onto other people. In this episode, we will focus on the many reasons immigration status and national origin may be barriers to service for survivors. Please know that this episode focuses on immigration and nationality in a U.S. context and is not intended to provide an exhaustive list of barriers. There are likely many more reasons people do not seek out services than I have time to mention here, and every experience is valid and worthy of compassion and support. Also, immigration policy is often in flux, so the following information could very well change in the near future. Now, there are many reasons human beings choose to cross borders, as they have for centuries. Some cross borders to seek new opportunities, some to be closer to family, and some for their own safety. The reasons for immigration are complex and as individual as the people themselves. We know that immigration and nationality are hot topics on an international scale. One such topic we're hearing a lot about in the States today involved detention centers. Years ago, many Mexican immigrants came to the United States for seasonal work under U.S.-approved programs because their labor was necessary for U.S. agriculture. Programs such as the Bracero program allowed immigrants to enter the U.S. for seasonal work, then easily return home to their families until the next year. This program lasted for nearly 25 years, then was axed because of concerns over working conditions. But agricultural jobs remained and remain necessary, as well as the labor of the individuals engaging with it. But immigrant people working the fields were and are subject to increased harm from employers and more difficulty with seasonal and cyclical movement over the border. And now we have thousands of people from Latin America, including children, incarcerated inside of crowded and unsanitary facilities by the U.S. government for attempting to cross the U.S.-Mexico border. Most of these humans fled their homes in Mexico and Central America because of safety concerns. Imagine leaving behind everything you know and love because you're unsafe in your own home, then walking thousands of miles seeking safety in a difficult and sometimes dangerous journey to a country that is hostile toward people who look and speak like you. 
It's hard for many U.S. citizens to imagine these circumstances because we have the privilege of not needing to consider them. I am constantly in awe of the bravery and courage demonstrated by the human beings crossing or attempting to cross our southern border. Our current presidential administration has issued new rules barring folks from claiming asylum inside our southern border, regardless of their reasons for seeking refuge. Reports state that many women and children being detained have been sexually assaulted while in U.S. custody, many of them by U.S. officials. The sexual abuse experienced by women, children, and members of the LGBTQIA community is rampant in detention centers and has been going on for a long time. There have also been several illness outbreaks in detention centers, including COVID-19, as well as family separations and child deaths. These are truly horrifying conditions for human beings to live in. And to think this is taking place in our own country is nothing less than shameful. This topic is but one example of the current climate for immigrants in the U.S., and it highlights barriers to seeking IPV services. Some women, children, and members of the LGBTQIA community were abused prior to or while immigrating to the United States. There are many instances of sexual assault perpetrated by coyotes who help immigrants enter the U.S. And many immigrants who are detained by Border Patrol report experiences of sexual assault by U.S. officials in detention centers or while in U.S. custody. People detained in U.S. custody who have also been abused by their captors or anyone else and are still being held in custody have little agency to advocate for any need, let alone interpersonal violence services. Even if they were able to leave detention centers, they likely wouldn't know where to go for support in a country that is both unfamiliar and hostile. Undocumented statuses go beyond detention centers, and these folks experience barriers as well. First, I want to name that I intentionally use the term undocumented instead of alien or illegal because human beings are not aliens, they're people, and using this term dehumanizes them, which helps justify or excuse violent behavior against people with undocumented statuses, as we have seen at our border and in detention centers. Also, the term illegal is neither neutral nor accurate because human beings aren't illegal. They have names and hopes and dreams that deserve to be seen and respected. Given that our current president began his campaign by describing Mexican immigrants as rapists and, quote, bringing crime, the term illegal is even more problematic because its association takes on larger connotations than immigration choices. It is worthy of note that immigrant populations actually commit crimes at lower levels compared to the general U.S. population. It's important to always remember that human beings, adults and children, are at the heart of the immigration debate. Now, immigrants of all documentation statuses account for around 13.6% of the total U.S. population. According to the Pew Research Center, the estimated number of undocumented immigrants currently residing in the United States ranges from 3.2 to 3.6% of the total U.S. population. 
undocumented simply means that a person born in a different country migrated to, resides in, and oftentimes works in the United States, but does not have legal documentation of their presence in the U.S., like a green card or a visa. Humans with undocumented statuses come to the United States for a number of reasons, including those already mentioned, and not all of them cross the southern U.S. border. Undocumented immigrants come from a variety of places outside of Latin America, although we hear much less about them than our neighbors to the south. Contrary to popular belief, working people with undocumented statuses pay taxes into federal programs and are not allowed to access or even apply for federal benefits such as food stamps or cash assistance, and many have been waiting years for a documented status. We also know that it takes longer for someone from Latin America to obtain citizenship than a person from a white majority country, like Ireland, for example. As Trump said in 2018, he wants less immigration from, quote, shithole countries and more folks from places like Norway. We can certainly infer what that means. Undocumented immigrants also live in fear of arrest and deportation by Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, because of their statuses. Deportation may mean that folks with undocumented statuses will be torn from family members in the U.S., lose their income, return to violent conditions in their countries of origin, and or experience violence from U.S. officials. Discrimination and fears may be increased for immigrant parents because of legitimate fears of being separated from their children. There have been cases, even locally in Greeley, Colorado, of children returning home from school to see that their parents were gone. Undocumented immigrants are also scared to use resources that would benefit their health, such as going to a hospital or therapist, because of fears including reporting and deportation. Survivors we work with here at the WGAC have described feeling fearful because they may be deported if they come forward seeking to protect their safety from their perpetrators. These fears are totally justified because there are many cases of survivors being arrested at U.S. courthouses during relationship violence hearings. Although ICE policy states that officers should, quote, generally avoid enforcement actions in courthouses, end quote. In fact, according to the Immigrant Defense Project, there has been a 1,200% increase in arrests and attempted arrests in and around New York State courthouses from 2016 through 2017. What's worse is that some attorneys speculate that tips are given to ICE by abusers because they know the exact date and time of court hearings, which means that ICE has likely helped perpetrators further abuse their victims. For example, in one North Carolina case, a woman and her 16-year-old son were in court because of a misdemeanor complaint filed by their perpetrator, and both of them were arrested by ICE just as the woman was going to testify against her abuser. In another case, according to a report by the former president of the Massachusetts Bar Association, one victim hid from ICE in a courthouse bathroom which resulted in her case being dismissed because she did not appear in the courtroom. This woman was in court in the first place because her husband strangled her in front of her children. I can go on and on about different cases, and it's truly horrific that these are the experiences of undocumented people in our country. As you can imagine, the trauma associated with IPV is increased by fear, arrest, and detainment, which creates barriers and further suffering in silence. 
And these are the experiences of people who have come forward and asked for help, like society tells them to do. In these cases, the U.S. justice system has failed the very people they are supposed to protect. Recently, the Trump administration redefined the already existing public charge policy, which is essentially an income-based requirement for immigrants seeking green cards and certain visas in the U.S., Previously, the Clinton-era rule defined a public charge as people who rely on cash assistance, public benefits, and limited green cards and certain visas for these folks. However, the new policy scrapped this definition and expanded the definition of a public charge, which is now written as a person who the government determines is relying or may come to rely on federal public assistance, such as food stamps or government housing programs. Although it's interesting to note that I haven't found information on exactly how officials make these determinations. The policy is also very restrictive on the time frame of people receiving benefits. Trump's administration defended the new restrictions as a way to ensure immigrants are, quote, self-sufficient. Critics say that this is essentially a wealth test designed to bar immigration of poorer people from developing nations. They feel these new restrictions will shut America's doors on impoverished folks and people of color. Barriers to service also exist for people who live in the United States as asylees, refugees, U visa holders, T visa holders, or who have permanent resident status in the U.S., Asylees are folks who are already in the U.S. and have legitimate fear of violence or death if they return to their home countries. The asylum process is a lengthy and time-consuming one, during which people experience fear of their application being denied and or fear of deportation. Even if someone applies for asylum with evidence, if it is deemed insufficient, they can be denied. Now, refugees are people who have been forced out of their home countries in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. Again, this is a lengthy process, and many refugees live in camps abroad for years before being allowed to enter the U.S. They also experience a lengthy vetting process to ensure that they are safe and law-abiding people. U visas are for folks and their immediate family members who have experienced violence while residing in the United States and are willing to support law enforcement officials in the investigation and prosecution of violent perpetrators. They can attain lawful permanent residence or a green card, but this is not a path towards citizenship. And the impermanence of a green card may discourage people from seeking resources out of fear of making waves or being noticed. Immigrants may also petition for a visa without their abuser's knowledge under the Immigration and Nationality Act as amended by the Violence Against Women Act. But this option is limited to certain spouses, children, and parents of U.S. citizens and green card holders. T visas may be available for people who have experienced human trafficking as well as their immediate family members. A T visa allows these individuals to remain in and work temporarily in the United States, typically if they report the crime and support law enforcement in the investigation and or prosecution of human traffickers. Now, many of these individuals I just mentioned experienced significant trauma that led to their documented status in the U.S., and some of them experience more trauma 
as related to IPV. These traumatic experiences are further compounded for people who are immigrants of color in the United States, especially those from Latin America and the Middle East, because they also experience barriers and violence due to the racism inherent in our country. If you didn't catch all that, it's totally okay because immigration and documentation statuses are super complex and sometimes confusing. It also lets us know that our immigration policies are far from perfect and we shouldn't pass judgment on people who seek to enter our country. We should also seek to become allies for immigrants and support them in their journeys because they are difficult ones. Immigration isn't just a complex issue that affects people in other places. It also impacts students right here at CSU. There are students at CSU of varying documentation statuses. For example, CSU is home to many DACA students, which stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. These are individuals who entered the United States without documentation as children in circumstances beyond their control and have grown up in the United States. This status does not currently provide a path towards citizenship either, but it does allow people with DACA status to be lawfully present in the U.S. without threat of deportation. And it allows them to apply for driver's licenses and work permits in the U.S. People with DACA status may apply to renew their statuses as well, but our presidential administration has chosen not to accept any new applications. What's more, DACA students may also have family members without DACA status, which can be scary because of ICE and the potential to lose family members to deportation. DACA is also a status that must be renewed every two years with high legal fees. And we know that DACA applications are being turned down more frequently under this administration. If DACA is denied, then the person will find themselves with an undocumented status without the work permit and protections of DACA. In 2012, President Obama signed an executive order called the DREAM Act, which stands for Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors. This allows a pathway toward U.S. citizenship for young people who go to college and or serve in the military while maintaining a good record, although they are not eligible for federal student aid and, in some states, DACA students must pay out-of-state tuition. DACA students utilizing the DREAM Act are often called DREAMers, and CSU is privileged to be home to many of these exemplary individuals. Of course, the DREAM Act isn't perfect because it doesn't offer employment opportunities or federal financial aid for students, but it's certainly a start. But DACA has been under threat by the current administration, which has caused CSU's DREAMers to experience a great deal of fear and anxiety. For example, DACA applications, including renewals, are being turned down more frequently since Donald Trump took office. This is scary for students because they are known to the system by their DACA status and they could be barred from completing an education they already started. Similarly to humans of other undocumented statuses, existing fears of deportation, in addition to relentless racism toward folks of color, act as barriers to service for DACA students on a systemic, and interpersonal level. For example, in 2016, self-described conservative students here at CSU erected a, quote, free speech wall on the plaza shortly after Donald Trump began advocating for a border wall. This was understandably super upsetting for dreamers at CSU, 
but the conservative students refused to take it down, and they rebuilt it once other students dismantled it. This was one of the many acts of overt racism that has taken place on CSU's campus, and these types of behaviors act as barriers to service for survivors. For DREAMers who are also survivors here at CSU, please know that there are resources in place to support you in your journey. WGAC advocates can help connect you to many different resources, both on and off campus, that will help you, even if you're not a U.S. citizen. Student Legal Services is also here to help answer questions regarding your rights as a DREAMer, and CSU has demonstrated their commitment to DACA students by assisting them financially during the COVID-19 pandemic. International students on our campus also experience barriers to service in the aftermath of IPV. Many of these students arrive to CSU with an F-1 student visa, which is required to enter the United States for school. F-1 visa holders may come with their families and are not allowed to work off campus in their first year. Additionally, international students studying on an F-1 visa are not allowed to access public benefits through the federal government, such as food stamps or cash assistance. Although they can access some resources, like the Food Bank of Larimer County, WIC, which stands for Women, Infants, and Children, and some CSU and private scholarships. As with DREAMers, international students are not Pell eligible, meaning they are not allowed to access federal financial aid. This can act as a barrier for people who are trying to pay Fort Collins rental rates and support their families while also studying at CSU. The lack of benefits and financial aid support may mean food insecurity, housing concerns, and more. For DACA and international student survivors, the barriers to access may become more pronounced in the aftermath of interpersonal violence. Because a trauma often exacerbates an already difficult situation for students who are simply trying to obtain an education. Certain documentation statuses intersect with IPV in ways that may increase trauma and impede academic success and retention. Also, other barriers aside from documentation statuses exist for immigrants because cultural barriers may make it difficult for a survivor to come forward after violence occurs. For example, some cultures discourage people from reporting relationship violence or sexual assault. They may be unsure of where to turn for help, or they may be afraid of being discriminated against in IPV centers or in the legal system. Language barriers also present challenges for survivors because they may be unable or fear being unable to communicate with advocates and counselors about their situation. The WGAC, as well as some other community resources, have invested in LanguageLink, a telephone translation service. Students are also free to bring a translator with them to advocacy appointments. People from certain nations and religions also experience elevated instances of discrimination in the United States due to our history of racism and white supremacy, which act as barriers to service for survivors of interpersonal violence. For example, since 9-11, Islamophobia has become an increasingly bigger issue on a national scale. The social narrative has caused many U.S. citizens to believe the stereotype of the Islamic terrorist, which has led to many instances of discrimination and hate crimes against humans who practice the Islamic faith. These are acts of domestic terrorism that are rooted in racist ideology and white supremacy. We have even seen our current presidential administration ban people from certain Islamic nations from entering the United States, 
even when nobody from these countries were involved in the 9-11 attacks. Many women in hijab have also experienced discrimination or have had their IPV experiences minimized by gender-based and religious stereotypes. Again, this is not an exhaustive list of barriers to service that exist for immigrants in the United States, but xenophobia, which means a dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries, has caused a great deal of pain for human beings who immigrate to the United States and impacts their ability to access resources after violence occurs. It must also be named that many of the service providers in nonprofit and state-run IPV organizations are, myself included, U.S.-born white women. This gives us unearned racial privilege, as well as internalized biases that live in the foundations of our understanding of the world and the people in it, which act as barriers for people of color as well as immigrants. To my fellow and future service providers, it is important that, as a very first step, we do our own work in understanding our own biases, as well as the barriers to service that exist for marginalized people, so we can offer comprehensive care to everyone. We must also think about our language choices. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I intentionally use the term undocumented, because I choose not to contribute to the violence enacted on immigrants in our country. If you still use terms like alien or illegal or any other word that contributes to the oppression of human beings, consider asking yourself why you use these terms, what they're rooted in, and then eradicate them from your vocabulary while remembering that there are hundreds of more steps to be taken around dismantling your privilege and in helping other white people dismantle theirs. Keep in mind that everyone, regardless of documentation status or any other identity, deserves access to services and the tools necessary to heal from interpersonal violence and trauma. Now I've thrown out a lot of information for you to consider. Feel free to check out our next episode that includes my interview with Penny Gonzalez Soto, a staff immigration attorney at Student Legal Services here on campus. That's all for this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970 492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy in the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.